Hello and welcome to In A Different League, the official podcast of the original fantasy football game. We're your hosts, me, Chris Pilau. And me, Jessica Humphreys. And this is what you can look forward to in episode five. Game week 12 brought us plenty of goals and therefore plenty of fantasy league points, both positive and negative. We take a look back at where things are, both from the weekend and the season as a whole, as we head into another international break. James Thompson is our different league guest in part two. How does fantasy league and the armed forces mix? We'll find out with him. And Neil joins us as ever in part three, along with your questions, queries and a few tips to put you listeners in a different league. Right, so Jesse, straight after game week 12, we're into the international break, as you say, and what a treat we had over the weekend, ending with Chelsea Man City, which will be an obvious talking point and a game which I think will have affected many managers. Not me, I got 12 points over the weekend and I only had Bernardo Silva playing in that game, so I had a big smile on my face just watching everything happen and watching <laughs> lots of teams fall apart. But how did you get get on over the weekend? I'm still in this slump, Chris. I got five. So I still have Robert Sanchez in goal. So they were sort of my minus points coming out of Chelsea City. But it could have been worse because um, John Stones is obviously injured. uh, So he wasn't playing. Um, I got some sort of points from strange sources over the weekend. I got a goal from William Saliba, um, which was much needed. I haven't had a goal for a while at this point. Um, An assist from Pedro Porro, which... um, inured me against the the eventual Spurs defeat that that came sort of out of nowhere in that that Saturday lunchtime kickoff but it's getting tight at the top my sister has had an insane month 43 points she's now only 20 behind me another Jackson goal for her as well Mm. and look you prove from you that defenders do score points despite what everyone else is saying so far this season Uh, and yeah Chelsea Man City then to kind of to start with it was the most recent game of the weekend for you what was that like you can talk a bit more generally as well what it's like to watch a a Premier League game uh, as a fantasy league manager but obviously as a Chelsea fan as well the the emotions kind of in that game we spoke about it last week with the Tottenham match what was it like for you so you had you obviously had Sanchez in goal, but you've got Alvarez, right, as well. Who else did you have playing in that game? And what was it like to, to watch that game from those two different perspectives? Yeah, so I I just had Sanchez and Alvarez. Um, my other Chelsea player, who I'm still patiently waiting for, is Christopher Nkunku. Just as a spectacle, it was crazy. Some context is that I was on the train back from Liverpool. I'd gone to Chelsea women's away game in Everton, which was freezing, but I was on a train full of, of Liverpool fans because their game against Brentford had just finished. So it was a stress to get a seat, but I did. I was there. I was able to sit down with... I was alternating between watching it on my phone, but then when the signal would cut out, I'd switch on to BBC Sounds so I could get the radio and sort of having this back and forth, which made it even crazier to like try and follow what was going on. But it was a fantastic game. And I think from a just Chelsea fan perspective, both those games that sort of happened across the, the last seven days, the Spurs one and then the City one, it just feels like the team obviously aren't the finished article, but to go and sort of create the chaos and score eight goals. I can't remember the last time Chelsea scored eight goals across basically seven days. It's been so dull in attack for so long. And I know the Spurs one, there's a big sort of asterisk on where those four goals came, but it's been a very, very enjoyable week. And yeah, if you told me we'd score four against Man City... I would have bitten off your hand for that even even before. And Cole Palmer at the end, I was saying, wasn't I, Chris, the other week? 
Cole Palmer on those Chelsea penalties. He keeps putting them away. I know. And, he, you know, he was one of the talking points. Obviously, the defenders will move on to the defenders because that would have affected a lot of fancy league managers. But from a fancy league point of view, Chelsea taking their chances is, is the story. A lot of goals coming from both sides. I mean, Erling Haaland ends up being the top scorer in fancy league this week, but it kind of wasn't really about him. It was about those Chelsea players who are, I wouldn't say coming good because they have been playing well. They just haven't been putting those chances away. And, you know, lots was made, obviously, of Cole Palmer, Raheem Sterling. I've always seen Sterling over the years when he was at Man City as kind of one of the ultimate fantasy league players in that whenever he's got the ball, he, he loves getting into the box. And you just know he's almost got sort of like a two point and a three point like button over his head. You can almost see like, oh, it's going to be two. It's going to be three. It's going to be two. But Cole Palmer is the story. And from a fancy league point of view from Cole Palmer, I would love to go back, you know, was he even mentioned at auctions? Uh, he probably wasn't. Did anyone buy him as a Man City for... player? Exactly. But did anyone yeah. buy him as a Man City player? Does anyone have three? I know it wouldn't work that way, would it? But yeah, does anyone, did, was he even in the conversation? And I, I remember quite well when he did sign for Chelsea, sort of like the ridicule in the in the Fancy League WhatsApp group about him as well, being like, oh, who's going to go for him? Is he even going to play? And he's completely turned it around. Well, I say turned it around. He's completely done what, what it looks like he was intending to be doing. But he'll be the top of everyone's shopping list if, if for whatever reason already that he's not playing in a Fancy League out there. Yeah, and I think it's not only that he's sort of taking and scoring the penalties, it's his all-round involvement in the team and obviously how quickly he's become someone that Pochettino relies on. I mean, it's going to be fascinating to see exactly how that all plays out when uh, Nkunku's back after the international break. Um, But it kind of puts Chelsea in a place where they probably don't have to rush Nkunku back in terms of exactly how they figure out putting all those players together because it just feels like... Palmer is, is so essential, you know, to even still be on the pitch sort of at that point in the game to take the penalty just shows, I think, how crucial he's become to this side. And yeah, I think also the the goal for Jackson, it was like a really nice finish, I thought, in the end. Like, I, I think it was one of those goals which feels like it feels like it should be easy, a bit like some of the Spurs ones. But like, I don't think it's easy as it seems. And I feel like that was like such a nice way for him to follow up the hat trick. And these attacking players for Chelsea are starting to find their rhythm and find a bit more confidence in front of goal. And it's going to be really interesting to see the, the Chelsea games after the international break are, are Brighton and Newcastle, I think, who are both teams at the moment who, you know, are feeling very, very wobbly. And prior to this run of Chelsea games, they were sort of included as, as teams that, Chelsea should be really worried about playing. But, you know, off the back of drawing with Man City and beating Spurs, I think Chelsea will feel quite confident going into those. Yeah, you you also, you called that uh, a couple of weeks ago when we signalled the, the run that Chelsea were about to go into, that actually the way they play against those big sides. It, kind of, it reminds me of Liverpool from a couple of seasons ago. Liverpool have been a lot better defensively this season. Arsenal way back when, sort of like, you know, great against... Uh, the bigger teams, you know, where they can, especially they're playing on the break, they've got a lot more, they can get into the box, you know, they'll be able to run beyond the defenders. But actually, it's how they do against the teams who actually put a bit of a defensive block on. And I don't think actually that's going to be the case with Man United and Brighton, so they'll probably be fine. You mentioned Jackson there. (laughs) Jackson looked like he didn't know how to celebrate. He looked so surprised that actually one of his first shots had gone in. Uh, And he scored four goals in a week. Brilliant for your sister, brilliant for all uh, Jackson owners. (laughs) out there and from a Man City point of view and we're not just going to talk about this game but obviously it was such a big game Man City did look a bit 
a bit vulnerable, obviously. They they looked a bit more sort of like a normal team, you know, in the, in the goals that they were scoring, you know, wide men putting in crosses, you know, they even get a deflected goal. It's it's interesting with, with, with Man City and you wouldn't have expected those defenders uh, to have conceded so many and that would have really had uh, an effect on a lot of fantasy league managers out there who are confident with their Man City defenders, whoever they may be. But I do wonder if you're one of these managers who maybe has even doubled up on Man City defenders, maybe you've got the Edison and another defender thinking that Man City can be one of the most defensive teams, that even they are starting to suffer of this sort of are defending is defending happening in the Premier League this season theme <laughs> yeah def- definitely I mean to a certain extent I think you can probably still see this game as just like a pretty crazy blip in terms of of City but I, I do think you know I always talked about the Stones absence because he's in in my team but there is a sense that for City sort of I know Rodri have pl- played in this game but you know there there are these sort of midfielders basically who, when they're not available, suddenly City don't seem to have that same level of control that we're we're so familiar with them. And I think to a certain extent in this game, that was part of Pochettino's game plan. He wanted to make City uncomfortable. He wanted to take the control away from them and he was just able to sort of unleash chaos and see what see what happened. And the result was that Chelsea conceded four goals as well. So sometimes you've sort of got to play with fire, I think. But yeah, I mean, just generally, Chris, looking across the league as a whole, you know, we had two three twos. Obviously, we had the Spurs Wolves 2-1. The only teams who kept clean sheets this weekend were Bournemouth, which I don't think many people would have put money on. Uh, or would have had and, Bournemouth defenders, probably. Well, exactly. Know. And Liverpool and United. So, I mean, I guess Liverpool and United potentially a bit more predictable. But I just think when you look across all those results, you know, lots of teams that people might be banking on with their defenders are just sort of really struggling to keep clean sheets at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I was happy that Matip was starting for Liverpool. It kind of doesn't always, isn't always the case and and happy to get a clean sheet there. I didn't get a Bournemouth clean sheet. (laughs) Uh, I did have, do have Nick Pope in goal for Newcastle and I was happy. We've got save points in our league, so I was happy that his five saves, which again, wouldn't have expected against Bournemouth, meant that I didn't end up getting minus points there against Bournemouth. But yeah, this theme continues. There'll be managers who are frustrated the fact that you know Villa, so dominant at home, 3-0, but then it's actually 3-1, that Arsenal obviously got a man sent off, but are also conceding a goal. It's those goals which are kind of killing a lot of managers out there and then yeah and Tottenham we spoke last week is it sort of a Tottenham going to fall apart now with all of those injuries and you've got to say that that they did it was a combination of two things Wolves Wolves played really well Wolves are really up for the comeback um, at the end it was a brilliant Sarabia goal I don't know how many Sarabia owners there are out there but oh my god that's almost <laughs> worth an extra point just for the touch alone let alone the finish that came with it and yeah you, do, you, you it's such a nervy season this season for for defensive points I think and no, no, Sarabia. No, I mean, no one owns Sarabia in my league. I don't know what it's like for you, but I did mention Wolves a few weeks ago. That Wolves are the team. You know, look out for Wolves players. They're playing really well. Uh, even you know, Mario Lamina, someone who is quite a defensive midfielder, but he's getting forward into dangerous positions. He scores the winner. Their press is really impressive. Talking about extra points, the way Gary O'Neill threw the ball to, to, to launch a throw in. Maybe that's worth half a point. Something for Neil in part three. Um, but there are some teams <laughs> who I think. We speak lots about the defenders, but actually there are some exciting players out there. 
on attacking sides. You only have to look at what happened at Palace, which also unexpected. 3-2, five goals at Selhurst Park. Everton looking attacking. Crystal Palace are looking attacking. Mikalenko, Decore, Eze. It it can still be a good season for Fantasy League, even if there are defensive points. You can kind of outweigh it with some really nice attacking uh, performances. And yeah, maybe Abdoulaye Decore, certainly one to look out for. He is playing as a number 10. We're seeing now, actually, that... 12 weeks into the season, how some of these teams are setting up, and whether it's under new managers or whether it's under new ways of playing. And Decore, as a midfielder, is is basically playing as a number 10. He's playing off Calvert-Lewin. And you, you're starting to see some of those players to target now. Yeah, I think we're getting to that point of the season, aren't we? Sort of coming up to this November international break where, you know, early on in the season, it's very hard to figure out how good teams are you get a lot of variance in the league based off being sort of unlucky I think we've seen that with teams like Chelsea and with teams like Everton who've sort of performed well but not had results go their way this kind of becomes the moment where you can sort of start to suss out okay like as the as the season goes on who's going to sort of rise to the top you know Brighton I guess are an example that kind of feels like they're heading in in the opposite direction someone Mm. who had this incredibly fast start to the season looked like they were just going to carry on scoring for fun even if they're a bit defensively open and now even some of that like attacking flair seems to be be drying up a bit more obviously they drew 1-1 with Sheffield United after Modahood was was sent off there but I feel like these are the kind of moments where you can sort of try and drill into some of those more bottom half of like the top half of the table if that makes sense sort of like six to twelve which it, it takes a while for that to really sort of like solidify doesn't it yeah and and one who was we always knew he was probably going to do well James Ward-Prowse at West Ham and he's got nine assists in all competitions this season that's not all the Premier League I mean he got compared to David Beckham on, on match of the day too over the weekend but perhaps rightly so I mean He's brilliant, and and he th- those are fantasy league points. If you're a James Wall Prowse owner, you know that a lot is going to go through him at West Ham. And there, there's another example as well. He started strongly, but the West Ham players are only really starting to get to know him now as well. They they know how to play with him. The attackers know what to run onto. Um, he's going to be a really big scorer this season, even if it's only assists. I mean, we might see some penalties and some direct free kicks as well. Um, but I think he's a midfielder who is going to score a lot of goals. And yeah, and Aston Villa are looking like, right, away from home, it's obviously not as good as at home, but at home now, yet another go- game where they score three goals plus at home. I think that is the sixth consecutive home game where they scored three plus. It's entertaining, it's free, it's really loud at Villa Park. If you've got Aston Villa players, then you are really happy when they're playing at home. It was made me think with Unai Emery, like how how can a manager be that good? Because obviously he is really good. How he's bringing out the best out of some of these players, players that he's brought in, players that were already there. And it made me think, Jesse, that firstly he would be a brilliant fantasy league manager. But kind of what managers would be good at fantasy league? And he would be up there. I, I also think that maybe like Guardiola, Klopp, perhaps wouldn't. They'd probably spend a lot at the auction on the big players. The best right back from Ligue 1 has just come in and Guardiola would you know, spend all his budget on it. And I, but I think Emery would be great. And kind of like, what are the characteristics? You know, someone like Harry Redknapp would be brilliant from days gone by. Like, or, I, or rather, I think I'm a bit like Harry Redknapp 
in kind of going for familiar players. I'd always go for players who've done well in the past, the way that he'd go, he'd go after like Nico Cranchar and Peter Crouch. That's what I do with my teams. But it did make me think, does any any name spring to mind for you? Like what real managers would make good fantasy league managers? I definitely agree Guardiola would be bad. He would be the person who was sort of putting players on the subs bench who you're just like, just keep them in your team. And he's like, no, no, no. This is like the specific formation I need this week. Yeah, this I think is going to do well. And then his bench is absolutely full of points. Um, the the man who sprung to mind, which I guess is, comes similarly from your Harry Redknapp shout, is Sean Dyche. N- not so much in terms of going for familiar players, but just being like, I know this player's a banker. Like, yeah. I'm not going to go for like the glitz and the glamour. I'm just going to go for players who I think are going to get me 20 to 40 points. And that's what I'm interested in. I'm not interested in going for someone who's going to sort of get 60, 70 over the season. I just want to fill my team with 15 solid, solid guys. Yeah, he's, he, it's a tight squad of players, full of players that play sort of like 80 minutes every week as well. You know, they're not even going to get subbed off in their game. Uh, but it's also the sort of like the personality that comes with it. The reason, another reason Klopp and Guardiola would be, wouldn't be great is they'd be so unbearable in the WhatsApp chat after a game when things don't go bad. I mean, it would be nice to see, but it actually, it would get quite spicy as well. It'd actually perhaps not be that nice. The dynamic in the, in the, in the league wouldn't be that great if they were in a bad mood. How fed up would you be when you had had a bad week and Ange Postacoglu's going to you, oh, it's, it's all right, mate, it is what it is. I, I think that would be fine. You'd be like, oh, you know, I, no, you know at least he's taking it well. <laughs> I, I think that Mourinho would be brilliant. Mourinho would definitely... I mean, he would have a lot of defending points. He'd be someone who'd double up on defensive points. So he'd have like two Newcastle defenders and get sort of like nine points out of it one week. But he'd also somehow have found out a way to have three Newcastle defenders by having someone who transferred over. He'd give so much chat in the WhatsApp group and he'd be really, really good value to play with. So anyway, coming to the the pub at the end of the season with his you know fingers on his lips, shushing oh, yeah. everyone as he walks in after winning. Yeah, <laughs> and he'd be holding up sort of like eight fingers, being like all the trophies he'd won that season because of the manager of the month awards that he picked up along the way. <laughs> he would definitely eight count trophies. manager of the month yeah. as a trophy. <laughs> So anyway, it's a good talking point. Maybe one for our listeners to get in touch with. Who, what Premier League managers or any football manager would make good fantasy league managers? And maybe there is even one out there who's playing. If you know of, a, of an ex-manager who's playing fantasy league, then please do get in touch. All the usual places, as you usually can, at Fantasy League on social media and podcast at fantasyleague.co.uk if you really want to go to town and tell us about the characteristics of all the football managers out there. So that's it for part one. We won't be looking ahead to the next round of fixtures. We'll leave that for the international break episode coming up next week where we can also take a look back at the best players and worst players of the season so far. Um, That's it for part one. We'll see you in part two for our next guest interview. Welcome back to part two of In A Different League. And today we are joined by James Thompson to talk us through his league. James, great to have you here with us today. To kick us off, just give us a little bit of an intro on your league and how you got into Fantasy League in the first place. Thanks, Jesse. Thanks, Chris, for inviting us on. Yeah, my, so our league is currently called and has been for a long time the Butcher's Hook and Cleaver League, famously after said pub uh, in Farringdon. In, in London. So a classic pub named league for obvious reasons. Um, I'm another one of these originals. 
started as an 18 year old student in halls 93 94 got the I think the daily telegraph the daily telegraph was the one that sponsored it for the first time and it had this thing called fancy league classic there's your players there's the budget pick a team and and compare with your mates so we did all that for a few years through my uni years and we had the like some of your previous guests had said you post your transfer and it was a wednesday wednesday was d-day because that was when the list was published and updated so you put your transfer in you waited to next wednesday saw how you'd got on and then you watched the games at the weekend from the classic came the auction version so by which time by, by the time the auction version of the same company came out we'd been doing it i don't know six seven years or something we all said we've got to do this let's meet in a pub did this first attempt at an auction and went from there really so about 2001 2002 i think was the first time we actually did the the auction version and got all excited because we realized what so i would be the only one with thierry Henry. awesome you know 50 million and then and then the sort of tactics came two or three seasons later when we realized actually how to play it and you weren't you know doing all those classic early mistakes of blowing all your budget way too early what else do you remember about that first auction i mean yeah thierry Henry probably was one of those players do you remember anything else about that first auction like you say you didn't really know what you were doing and is there anything that has kind of stayed from those early auctions that you're still doing now yeah a couple of things firstly from when you look at today the difference back in those days there were a lot more premiums what we would call a premium if you think back in those late 90s early 2000s you end of Letizia, Shearer time but you had Sheringham, Fowler, Owen, Ferdinand, Giggs, Ian Wright even, Cole, York there were all these players that were sort of in the, in this version of the game you know 60, 70, 80 point players you know your Ruiz, Ronaldo's 100 point players but there were loads of them whereas now if you haven't got Haaland or Salah Who's next? You, you need that sort of freak one Ollie season Watkins wonder. Ollie Watkins is the answer, James. <laughs> Ollie Watkins. <laughs> you know, maybe Stone, maybe KDB, but he's injured. It's a completely different world of the, of the, the not key premium. So that was the difference. But from those early auctions, I sort of slowly developed what I've sort of called my Ten Commandments, I guess, of the sort of cardinal rules of the auction oh does quick, anyone uh, else in your league know them are these your personal I, they may have them a different yeah. name um, but yeah. i don't know um so have a top 10 as, as a basic have a top list of top 10 players and i sort of always say get two of them if you can get three you're, you're sorted get oh. two of your top 10 and that can cover any position get at least one premium vital now because there's so few compared to how they used to be never raise in the auction rounds in the laps never raise a player you want always yeah. raise a player to waste money from someone else and if you can get players that you think will get pushed up, the more money, the better. So that's one. Um, never have two strikers from the same team. Um, yeah, if you four three three yeah. formation makes that a little bit less powerful. But when it was we we have for ages we had only two strikers allowed. So that was one. Adhere to talisman theory, i.e., get the players, especially now when it's hundred minute games. Who is the talisman? Who never gets subbed? It's worth, yeah. worth massive now. You know, you Bue- and Buemo, for example, mid table team. He never gets subbed. He's a brilliant yeah. fantasy league player. Fill your bench with strikers, as I said earlier. Never pay for a goalie. Goalies are rubbish in this form never right now. Pay. Never Never pay at the auction. Never buy a goalie. Just get one free at the end. I think that's easier when you've got smaller leagues as if well. If you get to 12, yeah. it's tough. But the, yeah. even your Allisons, Edisons, Popes, they're just worth like 15 points a season or 20 maybe. This but, season though, but it wasn't like that last season, yeah. the season before. It is a sudden change, so... And what were the last couple? Be patient. <laughs> Harder said than Retain some money for the season. How we do it? We, we get gate receipts four mm-hmm. times a year where you, you get money back depending on your monthly performance. So you top up your money and you can use that through the season. And last, last but not least, stay sober-ish. 
we have one player classically. He always get he always gets too excited. He turns up an hour early. He's had three pints by the time we even start. Within twenty minutes, he's bought the two massive players, twenty million each. We only have a fifty million budget. We've stuck to the original fifty million, and he's you know he's blown forty to forty five million in two players, and he's that's it. <laughs> and he says every. And then year, he's got nothing else. Then he has to wait, twiddle his thumbs, yeah, and probably end up four hours. More, he's like, carry why, on drinking. Why did I buy? And it, you know. He bought Van Nistelrooy and Henri one year, which kind of, I think, almost won in the league for doing that plan. And then he's stuck with that forever. But now he'll buy someone like Grealish or something. You know, a, a decent player, but he'll pay massively over the odds. You know, he, he doesn't think, oh, yeah, Haaland hasn't even gone yet. You know? I feel like that kind of going too early or drinking too much is like the longest hangover you can yeah. ever have because yeah. you get a season-long hangover <laughs> exactly. looking at your <laughs> But there's so much you can pull back in, in season play. With, with the way the league runs now, transfer window doesn't finish till the end of August and everyone's auctions are, you know, end of July, early August. So there's going to be issues there. The international breaks mean that actually we're coming up to December now. We've, we've only played 12 games. So, the, so the, the January through to April phase is much more important than the August to December phase. You allow yourself to have that money generated, the, you know, to keep that money coming throughout the season as well, which helps. Yeah, and we, and we get we get one on the 1st of January, one of those top-ups. So December is a Christmas month, So because there's usually about seven or eight games in December. Basically, you get 1 million per 15 points you get, and whoever's top or bottom of the league gets a bonus. There's, we, we create a wooden spoon sympathy million for whoever's bottom at that time so that you can then bid for players in the january transfer window if they're coming through so yeah in-season player you you can have a hopeless auction and if you stay engaged you can do well and there's one manager who, f- who always finishes last every year but he loves the auction he basically lifts for oh. the auction you know enjoys it does well and says right this is going to be my year i'm going to do super subs i'm going to i'm going to watch everything and he never does he's he's bottom by 35 points already this year oh dear that's quite endearing yeah yeah and he loves it and he pays the website he pays our fee you know we have a little prize pot tell us about who who makes up your your league at the moment because i know you've got some quite far-flung people or, or have at least had so in the past yeah so we've we've sort of fluctuated from anywhere between six or seven right up to sort of 12 managers so that and, and we always thought a nice number is sort of maybe eight or nine ten we've we've flirted with the idea of two leagues at one point but but stuck with the one probably six or seven regular navy and then three or four um, mates of the various people so um there's four or five of us who have been friends from school days the sort of there's a dover deal gang that's in it um my sort of best mates from home and then added to that were four or five navy mates three or four um, of the sort of city boys that were mates of the others. So we're a mix of basically Dover and Deal, Navy and random business finance sector people from London, I guess, have made it up our league. But the Navy ones, yeah, always provide a little bit of interest because, you know, right, where's Ollie going to be? Where's Greg going to be this year? You know, and they'll be, oh, I'm in deployed overseas. I'm in America or I'm in, I'm off the you know, Baltic coast or something. I've done it from a bridge wing before. I've done it from my cabin in the Atlantic Ocean. And you hope that you maintain your connectivity. It all sort of comes down. And trying to get, I think one of your your other guests said, how do you get 10 people in a room in 2023? It's a nightmare. So, you know, even in a virtual room, not even a live room, to actually have the the live auction now is really challenging, especially for 40-something middle-aged guys and girls that have got families, kids and, and all that sort of stuff. 
it, it comes as no surprise now to all the listeners how why you know all that meticulous planning, the Ten Commandments going into the auction that that your league is littered with people from the armed forces. <laughs> you mentioned there those those auctions where you've been doing it from a bridge ring, or whatever. Is there anything? In particular, any particular moment that you remember sort of like really sort of like being stuck, perhaps you weren't allowed to, you know, really sneakily getting the phone out, trying to get a bid in, or perhaps from you or, or, or one of the other people in your league? The best moments from the auction are the live ones when we've all been in the room. You know, they've been the fun ones. The, as long as you've maintained a WhatsApp line, we'll, we'll be okay. So there's been some temporary humorous moments where they've, they've gone off, they've come back and argued well, 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 you know, I, I was still bidding for Salah or something like that. And, you know, we're not going to see them off and say no too late. So there's been nothing catastrophic from that, but it does provide regular amusement when they're sort of sometimes jump in and out of connectivity. But with WhatsApp's great. I mean, that, that was a game changer. when The invention of WhatsApp allows you to do things that you just couldn't do before. Um, so like what we're doing now or, or any sort of Zoom type remote meeting you can't do with the connectivity because you need more bandwidth but just a whatsapp line you you can survive disciplined very organized Uh, what (laughs) happens if you can't make an auction because um i've i've basically put the rule now as league chairman in in my league now that's been running a few years that if you can't make the auction we're not as organized as you i don't think so for me you uh, with the auction just has to go ahead without you we almost have to get someone else in um, but if obviously it's going to be quite likely in your league that someone can't make the auction, what happens there? Yeah, so we we had a fairly early decision to have a surrogacy rule where as long as you're happy to to play and you know put your your prize money pot um, into the pot and all that sort of stuff, that you just basically send some instructions from to your surrogate and as detailed or as vague as you like and hope for the best essentially. So people have done that many a time and then it might be something as simple as get me Salah under all no matter what that's it that's the instruction or it might be something as detailed as right I want two of Man United Man City Liverpool Arsenal blah 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 and it goes on and on and on and the more detailed actually what happens historically the manager that is the surrogate ends up locking up his own team because he's so determined they're so determined to do the surrogacy part right and that has happened and then they rant and rave throughout the season saying well it's only because I was a surrogate that I'm not doing so well I don't think I could face entrusting as someone who woke up at um, 4 a.m. Australia time to make sure I could do my auction <laughs> this year. I don't think I'd feel uh, safe entrusting my team to, to someone else. We have done it before, though, in, in our league. I, I definitely think now with things like Zoom, it has become easier yeah. um, because you can get up at sort of stupid o'clock and phone in from Australia and things like that. It's yeah. horrible. Yeah, it, it really is like... I've, n- I've never allowed anyone else to do it for me, but I've done it for someone else. And you are, you're more nervous about their team. You don't want to let them down. You're really stressing. You, you, com- you get, like, like James says, you end up completely disregarding your own team. But then you're also worried about their team for the whole season. It's kind of like, it really is like yeah. surrogacy. There's a sort of like this link that you can't ever get rid of. I feel like you've got your own attachment issues maybe playing out in the, these teams, Chris. <laughs> um, James, I was going to ask, have you ever, like, what has been your biggest controversies that have sort of come out from your league? Anything that sticks in sticks in the mind? We've had a, a couple of classics. I mean, my best mate from all my life is is our sort of, is my biggest rival. You know, we, we're both called James. He was James G. I'm James T. You know, for, from the days of playing board games as kids, through everything, we've we've sort of grown this competitive challenge. So naturally, that's sort of t- as, as today, it's Fens Fancy League. 
And because of one controversy he did, he will always try and, if he can, on a technicality, get an advantage, he'll take it. He's ruthless like this. And we created something called the, the Henri Clause as a result of nice. controversy he did back in the day. And effectively, we have a weekly sealed bid. So our sealed bid is every Thursday night, 23.59, boom, there, there it is. So it's a nice weekly one. Uh, and it's born out of how we run our gate receipts and money through the season. You can have a weekly one. What he did, what, and when we sell a player, it goes immediately back into the pot to free agents and you, and you generate half the money you paid for them. Uh, so a fairly simple system there. But he proposed at the start of one season that you can't bid for a player you've just sold for a period of one week. And everyone rejected it, saying, look, stop making up extra rules. It's too complicated. We don't need that. OK, he said, with a glint in his eye. It was the year Michael Owen had just come back from Madrid. So we're about 05, something like that, 05, 06. Yeah. But he wasn't available at the start of the season. We knew he was probably coming back. So there was a, right, let's save some money. Who's going to get Owen? James had got Henri. And then one of the earliest, one of the first seal bids in the season, about week two or three, when Owen's in the pool, he waits until 23.58 on, thir- on, when, on Thursday night, sells Henri into the pot, generates the sort of 10 million because he paid 20 million for him. And one minute later, he bids for Michael Owen for 10 million. Lo and behold, we process the seal bids the next morning and everyone sees 10 million Michael Owen and he wins it. And, whoa, 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 you didn't have that money. Ah, I put Henri back into the pot. No, you didn't. And it just kicked off for about two weeks. Everyone was saying, this is outrageous. This is deception, you know, and it was all people, people threatened to leave. And of course they didn't. It was fine. But from that moment, we then had, right, the honorary clause became, you have to have sold your player back into the pot at 23.59 by the Wednesday night. So you create a 24-hour right. window. Otherwise, people could always do this. And you would not, wouldn't notice that there was suddenly a, a valuable asset in the pot for, a, you know, for a few minutes. Who's going to stay up to 23.59 just to check that? Well, I, I might be that person, but people with jobs and lives couldn't do that. So, so that, was, that was definitely the biggest controversy. He bought Henri back for two million. Sorry, the, the, the missing part. The, the, yeah, so he, he sold Henri. One minute later, he bid for Henri for the minimum price because no one knew he was available. And then with the money he generated from the sale, he also got Owen. So he wakes up the next okay, day. It's very naughty. And he's got Henri and Owen and everyone's outraged. <laughs> So yeah, so the, so the yeah, 24-hour Henri clause has lived for about 20 years now. <laughs> so James, how are you getting on this season? 20 years on, who have you got on your team? Who are your big hitters and, and, and how's it going? Well, up until that crazy Man City-Chelsea game at the weekend, I was second, I'm now third. There seems to be as a three-team runaway, uh, of which James G isn't one. So I'm now third, but I'm only nine points behind top. So I'm doing okay. There's Ollie, who's... Fiercely competitive, and he is famous for being the Jimmy White of our league because he has been runner-up four times and he's never won. Um, for the younger listeners, Jimmy White is a snooker player and he's never won the World Championship, but he, he, he was runner-up like seven times or something. So, so Ollie's top. Simon, um, who's also competitive, he's, the, he's also almost won a few times but hasn't, is second, and I'm in third, nine points down. So it's so very close. And then there's a bit of a gap. There's about a 30-point gap to the rest. I've actually got a decent team, but I've been hit. I've been unlucky. I'm going to moan about my injuries. So I've managed to have Odegaard and Madison, both of whom have been out. And Madison looks like he's out for a while. As a United fan, I know from Kent, right? I've got the massively underperforming Rashford. But I've got Ollie Watkins, Chris, so you'd be happy with that. Very good. Um, one of the Ten Commandments, which is an obvious one, is... Is fill, buy Ollie Watkins. Is fill your bench <laughs> with strikers. So yeah. you can then sell them for a little bit more if they turn out to be rubbish. So... So I've got five out of the 15 as, as strikers. Ferguson, Doku, got Diaby, 
Uh, yeah, you can tell a seven mat seven man league. You've actually you, you can actually yeah, build this, up quite a nice impressive teams, squad. Goalies I never worry about. I mean, this this in this version of the game, it's always been really strict for defenders. The way the points work, you know, you can go now ninety seven minutes and be on your clean sheet, and then you concede, and you it's it's a it's a three point swing. It's a signal. Whereas, um, you know, the, I heard you talking one of the other ones about the the clean sheet rule. Um, and the 75 versus 60 minutes. Um, Everyone's I, biggest gripe, yeah. Yeah, I, I think the compromise to that is once you get to 75 minutes, your clean sheet's locked in. And then if you concede after 75 minutes, you don't lose all three points. You lose one point. James, that's not how that football works. <laughs> oh, I know <laughs> it doesn't. In the real world, yeah. <laughs> but, then, but then you could then go, instead of getting zero, you get two. If you concede one after 75 minutes, I think that'd be more fun. I see. Because what teams have is they just don't have defenders in as much as they used to. The 70-point defender, I mean, Cancelo, who's gone. You look at the, the list of players in like the top 20, other than Trippier, they're all forwards and, and midfield players. Yeah. So a, a big up for the defenders, I would say. Well, one for Neil to politely listen to, smile and nod, say it's interesting <laughs> in part three and then not do anything Lock in about, the clean sheet at 20, uh, 75 minutes, Neil. Wow. <laughs> I love it. I love the. I I love that each week I feel like we get a new a new rule that will almost certainly never happen. But now <laughs> yeah. we're going to sit here and think of you know we'll be going at the weekend like oh could have had if we'd taken the the James rule we could have had uh, two yeah, points. I mean you can see twice in injury time and you had a clean sheet you would still be on one point not minus one. Yeah, look, this is definitely someone talking who had defenders in the Chelsea Man City game at the weekend. So, um, yeah, fair one. You're not sat in your in your military uniform anymore. You're now a civvy, as you as you put it before the call. But you've been, I suppose, fantasy league is almost one of the longest careers. Well, it's your longest career you've had in your life, and I imagine will go on for many many years. Can you sum up whether it's you, other members in your league, really kind of what this game means to you and and why you enjoy it so much and and why you're still playing it? so many years on from your uni days now having left the the navy as well yeah i mean i guess the two obvious but definite resonating reasons competitiveness natural competitiveness with mates has has been something that i've i've, I've lived and and enjoyed for years and and even those that say they're not really competitive often are so just having playing games is, is a good thing and um and the social element to it you know in today's world especially in this phase of our lives so so everybody in our league is 40 are we in the 50s yet we're getting there close but you know 40 something so we're all in that phase of our life where we've got families jobs kids busy phase and this provides the one or two touch points a year where we can all you know for a little moment drop that have a few beers have a laugh and pretend we're students again you know whether it's zoom actually getting into a pub you try to do a Christmas meet-up with a few few friends that sort of thing and when you're watching that game that is two teams that you don't support and one of your fancy league players scores. It's like Christmas all over again. It's amazing, you know. Uh, and to see, and, all, and, and even more, to see the disappointment or anger on somebody else's face is also equally as rewarding. So yeah, so I guess social side and the sort of competitive kid in me that says, you know, I like playing games. I think that will um, resonate with a lot of people who've played Fantasy League over the years. James, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate you you giving up your time. And for anyone who would like to come on to the pod to talk about their league, um, you can get in contact with us, podcast at fantasyleague.co.uk. You can find us on at Fantasy League on various social medias. We'll be back after this. (laughs) 
Right, so as ever, we have Neil Mansfield from Head Office joining us in part three. Lots of talking points as we head into this international break on manual assists, points and even more. But Neil, welcome back. How was your weekend? Yeah, it was all right, actually. Um, I, I must say, linking into a previous part of the pod, I do have Cole Palmer. Ah, Neil, how, I mean, what, what? none of these <laughs> players, you know, obviously you picked up a lot of these players because you weren't at the auction. What were the other managers in your league doing? Well, I don't know. I mean, I must confess, I didn't pick him up until I think it's the week after he scored. Did he score a goal and got an assist, I think, against Burnley? So I just went in, I think, with uh, a lot of money and picked up Palmer. And since then, I think he's, yeah, I mean, he's been on fire, hasn't he, in fairness? So uh, I don't know what they were doing. I think a lot of them were asleep this year or, or clearly have been on the beers a little bit too early. <laughs> and you're here, Neil, to talk us through, obviously, all the usual stuff. But we also wanted to bring you on to, to talk to about transfers and the players who've been most transferred in, most transferred out. I think it's something that a lot of listeners will be interested to hear. Obviously, for context, there are a lot of leagues out there who do weekly transfer windows. We heard about James in part two, who does a weekly sealed bids. So there is a lot of movement happening on the site. Um, and it's something that you guys at Head Office keep a close eye on. Actually, only really over these last 12 months have we sort of take, started to take sort of a real interest in the number of transfers that are being made. And that's purely because there are so many different ways that people play the game. You know, whether they do fortnightly sealed bids, or as you say, sort of a weekly transfer, or whether they just open it up and allow teams to make transfers when they want. I think that's what is so fantastic about the game, the different ways that people play it. I don't really know the best way to do this, but I think probably uh, the fun way would be to see if you can guess the top three most transferred out players Fairly obvious, I would think, but um, I'll hand it over to you, see if you can have a guess. Sorry, what's the exact time scale on this we're talking? Over the last week. There might be a little bit of an overlap. Generally, look at it over the last week. James Madison. Yeah, Madison is the one, the name that I would have got. If people are getting rid of things weekly and, and yeah, they would have got rid of him, he's going to be out for a while. So, oddly, Madison doesn't make the top three. I think people will probably hang on to Madison because they don't want to risk potentially losing him again when he, when he regains fitness. So rather than chucking him back into the free agent's pot, I think a lot of people have hung on to him and are sort of, you know, using their bench a little bit more carefully, hopefully. So he doesn't actually make the top three at all. The top three, in at number three, I feel like some sort of you know, Radio 1 DJ, in at number three is Richarlison, who was transferred out quite a lot. And then obviously you've got a couple of fairly big injuries. You've got Van der Ven in at number two, in at number one is Dan Byrne, uh, Newcastle, which I thought was quite an interesting one, I guess, because, you know, Newcastle now have a fairly big injury crisis. Perhaps people are thinking, right, you know, Newcastle are going to start conceding, maybe. I don't really know. Long-term injury as well, right? It, yeah, it's all sort of injury-based, isn't it? Which I guess is the things that is making people move. Exactly. So has anyone, if you started looking at sort of Newcastle players, there's a couple in there that I think um, may well appear in the most popular transfers in. Um, Sean Longstaff, because he scored a goal. <laughs> that's, how, that's how it tends to work when you're doing weekly transfers, I think, doesn't it? Uh, but no, we did talk about last week how, how they did look like, despite the injury crisis at Newcastle, there were players, squad players coming in who were showing good value. Um, I think I mentioned Matt Ritchie as one of them, although I think he's down as a defender, so maybe you've got a bit of risk there. Um, but yeah, I would have thought maybe a Sean Longstaff, Ritchie, uh, some of those maybe attacking players who are coming in to replace. 
So uh, the, the top three most transferred in players, uh, it's a name that's come up before, so it will make you laugh. Top three transferred in is McTominay. Of course. Still. People are still picking him up. Still picking him up. Yeah, absolutely. Really high up the list as well. And then we've got a couple of Newcastle players in at number two and in at number one. So I'm going to leave it to you two to see if you can guess who they might be. Both Newcastle. Jamal Lass- Both Newcastle. Jamal Lascelles. Do you know yeah, Lascelles is in at number two. Yeah, exactly. Well, unjust. So in at, in at number one is Libramento by actually quite some distance as well. Interesting. Yeah, obviously, so, th- um, those were two that came up. We're obviously in our monthly transfer window, which which wrapped up last week. And a, and a fair amount of money was spent on McTominay as well, as it was for Neil Mopé, who I thought maybe would have slipped in to that list. Well, I don't, I don't know whether you're beginning to influence things now with Mopé, because Mopé was just outside the yeah, top three. He are. came in at number four. But number five, for me, is the biggest surprise of all. Harry Maguire. Yeah. Fifth most transferred in player. Aren't Man yeah. United, like, technically the most formed team in the league Of right course, now? yeah, exactly. And people are getting rid of... I think from sort of like the other teams, you you are targeting. You are going to have to start targeting who you going to think is going to finish in the top eight, top six, seven, eight, and it's making. I I almost feel like there are fewer players available because there are teams that you are disregarding. For the first time this month, we do a tally every time we do the transfer window of who, how many teams are in each are represented from each Premier League club. So basically, Man City and Liverpool are both a top distribution in our league. We've got 15 players from each within our league. And for the first time, I think, ever, we've got a team, Burnley, where there is not a single Burnley player playing in our league, a league of 10 managers. Luton, there's just one. Bournemouth, there's just one. You know, Sheffield United, there's just two. I think that put, pr- puts pressure on some of those other teams to start filling up and start filling up with squad players or with players who you previously wouldn't have touched, even if they were defenders. It's almost like there are fewer players to pick from. Yeah, it, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I had two Burnley players at the start, but I was picking from the dregs. And obviously with, uh, with the announcement around Foster, I will probably move him on this week. In looking at the, the sort of the wider transfers, you've got more of the teams that you highlight. You've got three Palace players, all defenders, in the top 12 transferred in. So I think that does sort of highlight the point quite nicely. Even even a, an Evertonian or two coming in there as well. well. That's interesting. We're going to keep tabs on that throughout the season, Neil. If you keep bringing us the stats, we'll keep guessing. We were quite good at the guessing this week, but uh, we'll be able to keep guessing and maybe also continuing continue to influence uh, all you out there on who you should be bringing in and out. Bring the fantasy league world down by starting to like influence oh, yeah. players we don't think are very good. And therefore maybe bring the real, no, perhaps won't really extend into the real world. But we'll, we'll see, <laughs> maybe one day we'll have that great influence. But Neil, talking of influence, we're, we're here to talk about manual assists and points as well. And, and there were a couple of manual assists I wouldn't say controversies, but talking points certainly over the weekend. There were a few players, a few Fantasy League managers who got in touch. Clint Diaz, Joel Stanley, James Shepard all believe Jesse's Musa Diaby should have been given an assist over know, the weekend rather joining, than Yuri Tielemans. Joining this campaign. Yeah. I don't see why, personally, it wasn't something that I thought, but I will join this campaign to get more points. So, Neil, sort it out. Clear it up, Neil. Right, well, I don't think he was. I think, I think first and foremost, neither Opta nor the BBC gave Diaby an assist at all. So, kudos. Um, I think in particular to... To James, who um, who was on Twitter talking about how Opta have it down as a 0.6 xG chance for Diaby. Having said that, if they were absolutely adamant 
that he touched it, then Opta would have awarded it as an automatic assist. They didn't. And I've had a look at this, sort of trying my best to see whether or not Diaby, we freeze-framed it, we revert, whatever you, whatever the, the, lines the angles on. aren't yeah. On the lines, we've drawn the lines, yeah, they're in. And I just can't, I just can't see it. So we're sticking with the uh, with the on-field decision. Check complete. Tielemans gets assist. <laughs> I think it's, yeah, check complete, exactly. You know what? I think it's really important as well that um, we don't reference FPL. I love the way that everyone sort of, you know, says, oh, look, but FPL have awarded it. I, I don't care. I don't care whether FPL have awarded it because, you know, different rules, different game, and ultimately you're in a different league, aren't you, right? Oh, very good. Yeah, well done. <laughs> So, no, Tielemans keeps the assist. And it's good for Tielemans to get points. He's a, he's an old favourite of mine, and it's good that he's starting to play for Villa now and starting to get some points. Uh, maybe he's one to target. We've also had a question in from Tommy Key on Twitter, slash X, saying that someone in our league owns Tottenham's Basuma. No one, no one likes him, is what he's written. Oh, no one likes the person who owns Basuma as opposed to... they. I don't know whether they like or dislike Basuma, but that wasn't a reference to Basuma. Okay, we were watching the Spurs match and we think Basuma left the pitch on 74-58. Pedantic, I know, but we don't think he should get the two points for a clean sheet. Now, obviously, if it was 74-58, that would mean that he wouldn't get the two points for a clean sheet. You have to have played 75 minutes. But, Neil, you've, also, you've gone yeah. back into the head office VAR equivalent room and you've rewound the clock. What second, minute and second, did Basuma come off and therefore did he or did he not earn a 75 minutes played clean sheet for Tottenham Hotspur? Well, as you all know, it is definitely completing 75 minutes. You know, he's going to be absolutely gutted because the official statistical breakdown has him completing it by a second. So 75 minutes and one second is the official timing statistical breakdown by Opta. So I'm afraid no matter how much you either hate Basuma or the player who has (laughs) Basuma, (laughs) he still gets his clean sheet. Yeah, well, Ange knew that he'd let down a lot of uh, fantasy league managers out there. He had to do something to help them out. I'm so intrigued how Opta decide that. Is it when... Are they like zooming in for when the foot is off? You know, do you need both Ooh, feet yeah. off the pitch? Or is it when the ref sort of stops play for the sub to be made? It's true. I feel like we well, need I... to get the stats nerds finding the exact <laughs> definition maybe they of do when need you've, to... you've left the pitch. They do need to get the lines out, maybe, and see exactly. I the... feel like that. Exactly. I feel like, did his foot appear onto the pitch at exa- or off the pitch or on the pitch at exactly that second? It feels like a, a call into our... Uh, Opter account manager is uh, is due next week to get some clarity on it. We need Gary yeah. Neville with a football boot showing you different angles of how it can look like the football <laughs> boot is on or off the pitch. Absolutely, but is it on? The, is it when he comes off the pitch, or is it the moment that his number is raised? Then that's when he's got to come on. No, it, I shall find out if I can. No, it might come to a surprise. They they obviously Tommy's league. They obviously have defensive points for midfielders, which is why he would earn a clean sheet if there's anyone confused out there, as I was just now, as to why Basuma would get clean sheet points at all. But they've obviously customised their league to make that a rule. And Neil, in part, I mean, we don't need to really go into this because we know what the answer is. It was a bit preposterous from such a brilliant part two with James. The, the one moment he, he slipped up was when he requested that you should get the points, even if you get to 75 minutes as a defender, 
you get your clean sheet points and even if your team concedes after 75 points you should still get clean you know should maybe get downgraded to two and as we pointed out to him I mean that's not how football works you know just because you get to 75 it doesn't mean that you're going to get oh yeah we'll give you some points you know conceding a goal is conceding a goal if you're on the pitch you conceded that goal Hey, look, I, I think the thing here is that we've had the same rules for quite some time. So I think the question really is, are there rules? I think this is something that perhaps, you know, listeners should get in touch with. Are there rules that people will want to see change for next season? Are there, are there changes that, you know, people would want implemented, you know, that we can discuss as a wider community to see whether or not, you know, it's, it's worth bringing in? Um, and those could be wide ranging from you know, minutes on the pitch, which I think we've talked about before. Um, so I think we'll, we'll put that out as a wired email to everyone. But, um, you know, we're not against changing things here. I think, you know, as, as long as we can and they're sensible and they make sense, and there's a there's a vast majority of people want them, not sort of, you know, a, a handful of people who are gutted that uh, Basuma <laughs> missed or gained his clean sheets by a second, um, then I think it's worthwhile looking at. So, yeah, send in your ideas, you know, whether it's it's an email into the, the podcast team or, or address it on Twitter. Happy to pick it up. There is one that we can perhaps discuss. We don't need to go into it now, but one to think about. I think it's one that Jesse and I both agreed could and maybe should happen when you were in up on your mountain a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> but over the weekend, scored a penalty for Crystal Palace, but also conceded the foul. And even in my league, Johnny said, oh, I th- have they not updated the manual assist? Because uh, I should get, be getting five points from that. And I said, no, 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 Johnny, it doesn't work like that. If you get fouled, you, you, you'll only get the goal points. That's one, I think, which could have uh, good reasoning to be adjusted. But maybe you disagree. Harland at the weekend, exactly the same incident. Exactly. He was brought down, I think, in a box. So that was, brought um, down, that... in inverted commas. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, brought down. He's a small guy, isn't he, Harland? <laughs> Easily falls over. I think it's always been like that, you know, in terms of, you know, if you earn the penalty and take the penalty, then you don't get both points. But yeah, I mean, I'm not against that at all. I think I think that might be, a, you know, a nice way of changing around, you know, it's 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 within our control as well in terms of, you know, it's just a manual adjustment. So that's quite easy to do as a rule change. OK, great. So listen, we were trendsetters when it came to fantasy league. We could be trendsetters with all of football. Who knows? Exactly. Yeah, well, exactly. I, I, I love the fact that everyone references FPL. You know, I really love the fact that we have our own rules. We don't follow, you know, FPL in terms of, you know, the way they the way they adhere to their ridiculous point system. So we do have our own way of applying. I think that is the overarching takeaway from today. Brilliant. Well, as ever, <laughs> if anything you want to discuss, you know where to come. Contact us on at Fantasy League on social media. You can also reach us by email if you've got a really long monologue uh, that you want to get off your chest, podcast at fantasyleague.co.uk. We're desperate to hear from you, how things are getting on in your league, what chain, what rule changes you think should happen, which probably won't end up happening, um, and anything more you've got for Neil, please do get in touch. So next week, it's the international break. There's plenty to discuss, though, in Fantasy League land. We'll be looking ahead and looking behind, as we usually do. And we've got a question of sport-themed quiz The man who writes the questions for the TV show has got some questions specially designed for Jesse and I. So please do tune in as you usually do this week. Thank you, Neil. Thank you, Jesse. Thank you, James, in part two. And thank you, producer Simon, as ever. And we'll see you next week. 